Welcome to this edition of the Great Lakes Divide podcast with Tom Crawford. I'm Ryan Schuling as we recap the action from this past Saturday where the Michigan Wolverines, the Michigan State Spartans, each score 10 points and somehow one of those teams wins. They combine for 20, but in the early game, we'll touch on it first. Michigan takes down Iowa 10 to 3, a nightmarish game for Nate Stanley, quarterback for Iowa. We'll get into the details of that in just a little bit. But really, the Michigan offense wasn't much better. It was just seven points better. They covered the spread. That's good enough for me in a 10-3 victory. Michigan State scored 10. Their defense, very good early on, exceptional early on, but just could not stem the tide of this Buckeyes attack in a 34-10 defeat. And the Spartans' struggles on offense continue. Their struggles on special teams with their kicking game and Matt Coglin continue and turnovers, just self-inflicted wounds in this game. We'll get to the story on that in the second half of our podcast. We start, however, with Jim Harbaugh and his comments on his defense's performance in what was a virtuoso delivery. Uh, obviously, I was a defensive uh, masterpiece. <clears throat> our uh, defense, Don Brown, the coaching staff, the players, uh, Don called a great game. They were very well prepared, and... Uh, Player-wise, it was just obvious from play one to the last play of the game that, that everybody was hustling and, and running and playing with, uh, with great effort. And, um, so, great job. It was a great plan defensively. Um, Don, during the week, I mean, he said he might uh, jump off a tall building if, if uh, some of those isolation plays work because uh, they, they really thought they had them um, and the, really felt the players had a great week of practice and uh, knew exactly what to do, how to do it, and, uh, and did it with great intensity and great effort. And uh, to hold a team to one yard rushing, I mean, that's, that's a masterpiece. So I think back uh, among all the games in the Harbaugh era and the big games, this is a ranked team coming in that was undefeated. We weren't sure what we were getting, Tom, in Iowa at 4-0. and oh, But nevertheless, team that was ranked number 14 in the nation. And as far as that's concerned, defensive performances, Don Brown, defensive coordinator, took a lot of heat with the last couple of games against very good teams. The two last year, the bowl game, the Ohio State game, and this last game against Wisconsin. Saturday, rather, the... Wolverines pull it all together in a 10-3 victory. What stood out to you, one, about the defensive performance itself, and then two, on Harbaugh's comments regarding the defense? Yeah, Ryan, it helps me home. Let's let's face it. I mean, you're referencing some of those games that they've been run on and ripped on in the past. Those have been away, you know, including the bowl game. No, this was uh, this was old-style Michigan defense, and Don Brown, it, you know, challenged his defense Obviously, they're all reflecting back to the the Wisconsin game, and I kept it. Uh, from my understanding, they ran that video loop, so every every screen and at the at Shen Beckler Hall, they could see that defense could see them getting getting run on. I mean, it was a lot of psychological preparation for this, and and a lot of blitzing and a lot of you know there was there and just aggressive play. And I think that's 
that was a huge takeaway. Nate Stanley, as we've talked about, Ryan, a veteran quarterback, one of those guys who, you know, workmanlike, gets it done, minimizes his mistakes. In fact, he threw three interceptions uh, and, and just was backpedaling so much. And in fairness to him, I mean, his offensive line started to hold at the end, and they just kept going backwards with holding calls. So, no, it was a, it was a great win for Michigan from a defensive perspective. Offensively, I guess we'll get, we'll get into that uh, nightmare later on because I think there's some big issues on that offensive side of the ball. And let's hear from Kalik Hudson, who um, comments here on how his team on the defensive side of the ball responded to the challenge of Don Brown. I'll watch that video on a loop, as Tom just said. Um, you know, we were just being aggressive today, you know, just doing everything um, we've been preparing for in practice. Um, Coach Brown challenged us early in the week. You know, he told us um, that the quarterback had uh, eight touchdowns and zero interceptions. So he challenged us, you know, that um, if we could get two interceptions, so we got three. <laughs> So many guys in a perfect performance in many ways by this defense for Michigan, Tom. And Kalik Hudson uh, certainly was key to that effort. But individuals who stood out on the defense for you, maybe a guy that surprised you. Uh, what really was happening down there that made it so difficult for Iowa? Well, I'm, uh, you know, people are going to get tired of me uh, th talking about Cam McGrone, but he he is he is number forty four. Watch this dude play. I mean, sometimes you know you, you start ISO on a player in the, in the press box with your binoculars because he's so engaging. You want to know where he's at, and he comes flying in there. He potentially could be my favorite Michigan defender all the way back to Donnie Dufact. I tweeted out, and he goes back to the early seventies, well before you were born, Ryan. So, but I mean, it was. Um, I mean, he stood out. Obviously, I thought Kalik Hudson, you know, was, was was obviously sensational, and and you know, Jordan Glasgow is another guy. You know, the guy had nine tackles, and you know, he, this is a comes from a great football family. I mean, his his brothers, you know, NFL, you know, obviously one plays for the Lions. I mean, he is steady, you know, and and uh, so he stood out, and and Daxton Hill, boy, there's another guy, the freshman, true freshman. He had six tackles. Number 30, watch out for him. So a lot of stars on that defensive side. Aiden Hutchinson continues to be steady. And and then Michael Dana, the transfer from CMU, had, you know, when, when uh, I think there was a Quiddy Payne went out and they did some switch and they brought him in at defensive end. Quiddy went out for an injury. We'll have to find out what that is. That could be bad um, if, if he's out for a while. But Dana played great. So a lot of heroes on the defensive side of the ball, Ryan. Yeah, six quarterback hurries. Eight sacks of Nate Stanley in this game. They pick him off three times. Stanley had a, a consecutive streak of not throwing interceptions coming into this game that dated back well into last season. He throws three picks in this game. Uh, two and a half sacks for Quiddy Pay, one and a half for Cam McGrone, two for Jordan Glasgow, and three different defensive backs intercepting the football for the Wolverines and Josh Metellus, Lavert Hill, and Ambry Thomas. Life was miserable for Nate Stanley in this game. He completes 23 of 42 through the air. But again, those three picks, no touchdown passes. The One of the odd stats to me that jumps off the page in this game, though, and this is kind of going to help our transition and our conversation to the offense, Tom, the Wolverines forced four turnovers by the Hawkeyes and come away with only three points. And that was on the very first turnover, the fumble by Iowa. Turned that into a field goal. Did not get points off any of the three interceptions. What happens? I mean, when you flip the field and your defense gives you that opportunity that this offense just can't seem to click and cash in. 
Well, in, in particular, in, in, in the red zone, and this goes back to the problems they had last year and the year prior. I mean, that red zone offense has been one of those things that Michigan has struggled with. And you take away that 51-yard, uh, you know, long pass that uh, Shea Patterson connected with Nico Collins, I believe it was. Yep. You take away that, um, this offense, you know, was under – it was under, and in, th- in terms of through the air, it was under 100 yards. They had a buck 47 through the air. Uh, they had a, you know, on, on rushing, they had, I'm trying to think of, it's literally the same. I think it was almost the same number. 120, Tom. 120. 120 on, on, the, uh, on, the, on the rushing. You know, yeah, I, 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 hey, I crave for balance. They got balance, but they just don't have enough of it on either side of the ball. When they start playing, I mean, Iowa's a good defense. There's no question about it. But when you take this this body of work offensively on the road on October 26th, not to get ahead of ourselves up at Happy Valley, to a team that I think is just sit, laying in the weeds is one of maybe that 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 dark horse to win the Big Ten title. I'm talking about Penn State winning without getting a lot of notoriety. Man, they have got to fix this thing and and create some higher level of speed and space, higher efficiency. Because this is not going to work when you play Penn State, when you play Michigan State, and when you play Ohio State. It's not going to work. Let's get to Jim Harbaugh's comments on his offense here, collected by Tom, who was down at the game, was homecoming for Michigan. And here is Coach Harbaugh. I I, I really think we're hitting our stride. I really do. Um, The way uh, our offense has been practicing, the way they've been uh, preparing, I think it's – I think – have great faith that they're they're hitting their stride. I'm not sure what he means by hitting their stride, Tom, but it doesn't appear that Michigan really did that in this game at all. I, I don't know what he's talking about. Well, he's talking about practice. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, but we're, we're good in practice. Well, Hal, if you can't if you if you can't push that over into the, into the game day situation, it's it's null and void. No, I don't. I mean, that's just Jim being Jim. He's he's evasive, um, and. You know, he's he just doesn't want to get into it. I I, I seriously think there's a problem. Um, I it would be not you know, do I do the the old fan thing and default back to the backup quarterback? Um, because Dylan McCaffrey, it, it, when he is healthy, can pose a threat with his legs much more than Shea Patterson can. I mean, Shea had a couple runs. I will say that. But, and, you know, Jim is constantly, and I mean constantly, in 100% defensive Shea. It doesn't matter what you ask him. So it's it's almost a moot point to ask these questions. And I'm not saying to be throw the kid under the bus, but just a note that there are some areas that he needs to work on, blah, 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 and it's all, everything's well and good. I, I just don't get it. This this offense, to me, as we're we're halfway through the season, Ryan, mm-hmm. it's got to, it, to get to the goals where they want to do, and to, to be that, you know, one fraction of the potency of that Ohio State offense that we'll talk about later in our podcast, they they get they just got gobbles of work to do. And Shea Patterson touches on the productivity of the offense and uh, what he saw during this game in this clip right here. Sometimes it's going to be like that. Um, we were fortunate for the defense to come out and play the way they did. Uh, they kept us in the game the whole entire time. Um, so we just stayed patient. We stayed patient and took what they gave us and um, put a few drives together. Uh, we left a lot out there. Uh, we got to start finishing in the red zone, but um, like I said, anytime the defense plays like that, you just you know, try to help them out as much as they can. 
Patterson finishes 14 of 26 for 147 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. The running game looked like it was going early pretty well. Zach Charbonnet looked to be back to full health. He was cutting off chunks of yard, maybe four or five at a time, but he ends up with 13 carries for 42 and just uh, paltry 3.2 yards per carry. One of the things that I was messaging you during this game about Shea Patterson, Tom, that bothers me if I'm a Michigan fan is he gets locked in on one target right off the snap and I'm not seeing him check down to some wide open guys. In one particular instance, you and I saw the exact same thing where he's looking right, committed right, delivers right, incomplete, while Zach Charbonnet is rolling off to the left. This is near a goal line red zone situation and what would have been a touchdown, I think, if he had just swung it to the left. Is, is that a product of nerves, of a lack of confidence? I mean, you're seeing this. It's not just that one play. How, how can you? I mean, the guy has a, a ton of football behind him. I don't know, at old, between Ole Miss and, and last year at Michigan uh, as a five-star quarterback coming out of the Toledo area, I don't get it. You know, and, and another thing was when he gets flushed out of the pocket, drifting right, you know that ball's going to get chucked out of bounds. And then there's another time. He threw, he threw, across, he threw across his body uh, over, the, you know, I think he was trying to hit Tariq Black over the middle. Uh, it could have been picked off. He doesn't necessarily make – Good decisions either, Ryan. I mean, this is what baffles me when they when they grade him, his performance. I'm talking about his offensive coaches and such. That I, I can't believe he wouldn't be criticized for that. And I can't believe we're still seeing some of those mental errors in decision-making this, this far into the season. Well, Josh Gatt is calling plays on the sideline. Uh, we thought, looking back at that game against Rutgers, that maybe there would be some momentum generated by this. Now, you can winnow in, and we are, Tom, on Michigan and why they're not producing. All due credit to Iowa. They've got a pretty good defense themselves, so that has to be taken into account. But the things that you saw against Rutgers, the execution, the play calling, uh, didn't really carry over in any regard for any length of time or sustained drives against Iowa. So, I mean, where is the true Michigan here and how much of this is on Gaddis and play calling and, and and where do they go from here? Because they got one final tune-up, as you mentioned, next Saturday. We'll preview that coming up in our midweek podcast at Illinois before they got to go to Happy Valley and Penn State. Uh, where is the truth? Where does it lie between the performance against Rutgers and what we saw yesterday against Iowa? Well, well basically, I'm pretty clueless on that. I mean, and, and hey, keep in mind, when they do go to Champaign, don't think that automatically is going to be a tune-up because it's kind of on the road thing, you know. I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't care uh, who they're playing on the road. Michigan is not a juggernaut. That they, they, they will probably uh, let Illinois hang around the chicken coop for a while, for all we know. And I'm not trying to be negative on this, but they, they've got to jump on these teams. I'm going to go back to your comment, Ryan, just a few minutes ago. You said, you know, Michigan's rush, rushing game started. Um, to, you know, all right, and you said Zach, you know, had, a, had some chunk plays at four and five yards. You know what? That's true. That's the definition of a chunk play for Michigan is four or five yards <laughs> rushing. It should be 20-plus. This is the difference between Michigan and the big boy offensive packages. They don't get chunk plays on the ground. And I don't, I don't get it. Well, I mean, obviously with J.K. Dobbins, you, you, saw what, you, define, you saw what chunk plays are really like. And Michigan has got to figure out how to get chunk plays 20-plus on the ground, and they are not even close. Well, when you look up front, Tom, this is the part that's even more confusing to me. I mean, you want balance on offense, and they're not really getting that on the passing game. But I look at this offensive line, and I see talent. I see experience. I see leadership. I see a, a high intellect level. You got Runyon, a left tackle, a senior. Ben Bredesen at left guard, a senior. Cesar Ruiz, a junior who plays like a senior. 
Michael Oweno, who's a senior himself. I mean, you got you got all kinds of experience across that offensive line, and yet they're not generating whatever they need to get the holes for the running game. I, I don't know that you could put it all on the running backs and not finding the holes, not hitting the holes, but the timing's not there. But the play of the offensive line, how would you grade that out against Iowa? Um, uh, it was all right. I mean, there were some holes. I mean, I think the RPO, I think – Shea's RPO, in contrast to the guy in Columbus who is the ultimate RPO guy, Justin Fields, is 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 not all that good. I mean, you know, he doesn't sell it to me. And I'm just watching it from the sky, from the box, and visually it, it doesn't look like there's a lot, a lot of selling going on, on you know, when it's play fakes, um, you know, handoff fakes. And, and so, I don't know, I think that lies the problem. But, yeah, this offensive line, it just does not does not push the pile like I, you know, like I want it to, like the early '90s or the mid '80s offensive line. They just—they're not physical enough. They just are not. Michigan's defense certainly was physical enough, and they were tested in this game. I mean, consider this: Iowa had about eight more minutes time of possession, thirty-three fifty-seven oh, yeah. to twenty-six oh three. And yet, even if you take out sack yardage, which in college, unlike the pros, counts against the rushing game. So it's a little distorted when you look at the sheet and you go, wow, Michigan held Iowa to one yard rushing. Well, take out the Nate Stanley sack yardage. And Tom, they still held Iowa to just 66 yards rushing with a a triumvirate of running backs for the Hawkeyes that had been very good coming into this game. So among everything else with the interceptions, the turnovers forced, the pressure in the pocket on Stanley, shutting down the Iowa running game might have been first and foremost the number one most impressive thing this Michigan defense did. How were they able to do it? Well, they did it at all levels. I mean, they did it on their on their on their D line. They you know they obviously you know did it in their linebacking core. You know, with Cam McGrone and, and you know in their secondary, I thought their secondary Ambry Thomas played well. I mean, and this Harbaugh was raving about him. This guy was in a hospital for a month, and look at him. You know, they're getting, you know, they're just getting it at all three levels. There was not any weakness, and they just put so much pressure on Nate, Nate Stanley. That guy was, was was in a retreat mode, whether he was under center or was in the gun. I mean, he was just backpedaling all the time. So that's, you know, there's no such thing to me, Ryan. You know, I say that, you know, my, my concerns about the Michigan offense, but there's no such thing as an – uh, as a bad win. I no. mean, you know, I mean, uh, you know, all, all wins are, are pretty. They're not ugly. I mean, I hate the term ugly win, uh, but the it's the defense that makes the pretty part of it because the offense, as we've talked about, has has got to find out what fixes problems because there, there are definitely a lot of problems. And one more thing about the Michigan defense, um, it, or yeah, Michigan defense, is I, those penalties that sent in that one particular, maybe Iowa's second to last possession where they just went backwards with penalties, mm-hmm. that was out of sheer desperation because they couldn't handle the Michigan pressure up front. Uh, it's absolutely true. I mean, the Hawkeyes were stymied, to say the least, offensively in this game with the varied performances that Tom references across the Michigan defensive line at the linebacker core. I mean, front seven was just stalwart against the run in this game and generating pressure. The Iowa offensive line was overmatched consistently in this game pushback, and I thought that was one big bright spot for a Michigan team that struggled to score points. And Struggled on third down, too, Tom. I mean, take us through the sequencing of this and why that was. Three for 13, just 23% conversion rate on third down for Michigan, and that's a big thing to keep your offense on the field, to keep a drive going. They were not able to do that. Yeah, they don't seem to stretch the field, to use that term. Where, 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 where 
Michigan, where you know where the opponent's defense feels a threat at all phases of the field, all three, you know, horizontal uh, tiers, and then all the the depth of the field. They're just, I maybe it's conservative of play. I don't know of their attack. They don't seem to attack defensively, and you know when they're in the red zone. Back to that, it doesn't seem like. They go their, you know, to their money guys. You know, I, I would go to Nico Collins, man. I mean, just your your chances of him out leaping somebody is pretty doggone good. And so, and, and when they get Sean McEwen back, who their tight end, who's been injured, that that will certainly help a little bit. But um, I, I I I just think that overall, they there's not a lot of good that they're doing offensively, other than they didn't turn the ball. They 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 didn't lose the turnover battle to Iowa. Ronnie Bell was held without a catch in this game, Tom. Yep. This is a guy that came in as their leading receiver. We talked about him as a security blanket target for Shea Patterson. How did that happen? I don't know. Well, he dropped one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, Ronnie Bell has been. But, you know, the problem is, I mean, not the problem. It's a good situation when you got Nico and Donovan Peoples-Jones, who's now getting a lot more looks as he's healthy now. So that's taken away from from Ronnie Bell. And he got Tariq. And then, you know, then you got, you know, Nick Eubanks is a tight end to throw as well, too. So Michigan wins it 10 to 3. They beat number 14, Iowa. And no doubt the Wolverines will go up in the polls this week following such a big home win. Can we say that? I mean, you say you don't like the term ugly win, but now people are trying to downplay, I think, because of the lack of offensive firepower demonstrated in this game that they're trying to poo poo this win over Iowa. How would you categorize the win over Iowa? Was this a big win, Tom? Well, I mean, it, you're, you're, Okay, you're ranked 19th or 7th, whatever you're ranked, and you beat the higher-ranked team um, that, and a homecoming uh, and on a beautiful day. That, 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 I mean, that's a pretty good day, I think. But you know what's funny? I always get a pulse from my, my – you know, I had a homecoming uh, gathering my old fraternity brothers, and I, some of my guys are kind of the typical cynical show-me kind of a you know yeah. fan alumni. You know, our offense sucks, blah, blah, blah. And – People are happy after the win, but a happy slash concern of what looms ahead. Because, I mean, think of these last three home games. Notre Dame, Michigan State, Ohio State. Laced in there with going on the road to Penn State. It's daunting what is ahead of Michigan. And what the fact is what lies ahead for Michigan and trying to get that elusive Big Ten title and that you have an offense that is still struggling halfway through. That's that's what kind of colors it gray a little bit as a four uh, post of four color. Ten three winners though Michigan at home over Iowa. Now they'll take to the road twice. Once at Illinois before going to Happy Valley and Penn State. This coming Saturday's game will be a noon start on ABC in Champaign. And as Tom mentioned, you know, on the road doesn't matter who the opponent is. It's always going to be a test for Michigan. They got to get this offense right. I mean, something between what we saw against Rutgers and then the. Uh, absolute standstill that was against Iowa. The Great Lakes Divide podcast is brought to you by the Record Lounge in Rio Town. You heard the song Drain You from Nevermind. That was a 1991 album release. It is re-released on vinyl, and they have it at the Record Lounge in Rio Town with Heather Frary and her staff ready to assist you. And not just that release from old music, but new music, too, that drops every Friday. If you're looking for it on vinyl, you'll find it at the Record Lounge. And if they don't have it for some reason, they've got just about everything. They'll special order it for you and get it to you within 24 to 48 hours. Just south of I-496 in Lansing, down south Washington. That's in the Rio Town Marketplace, the Record Lounge in Rio Town.
Turning the page to Michigan State, and early in this game, the way the Spartan defense played, God love them. I mean, they were fantastic. They had riddled Justin Fields and Ohio State the first three times they touched the football, unlike any team even came close to doing this season. They force Ohio State into a three-and-out punt, a drive that went negative 16 yards way back in the Buckeye zone uh, part of the field, only to fumble the ball away. On a very controversial play, and this is one thing that's been bothering me. It's happened a couple times this year for the Spartans in that Mark D'Antonio, one, doesn't push or campaign hard enough for a video replay to happen. And then two, take the freaking time out if that's what it takes. You see other coaches like Mike Leach, Washington State, and several others do this to get a second look because this is such a big play on the road against arguably the best team in the nation, Ohio State. Cody White comes down with a football takes one I don't know that it was a completed process catch that he ever had full control of it they no he it. did not he did not and I there don't. you go Tom Crawford on this play what I don't understand is if, if you're Mark D'Antoni that's such a big play in such a big game you got to stall you got to call timeout you got to give these officials every opportunity to take a second look at that don't you I, I was shocked at the uh, that that wasn't pursued more Ryan because I mean even, even when it happened um, we're watching TV, a bunch of guys, and I said that that's coming back. I mean, he did not have control. I mean, he he never had he never had the that pigskin secured in my mind, and that was a key play. I mean, you have four possessions, you have two turnovers. Your defense is playing great. They did not seize the moment, if you will, by making mistakes on the offensive side of the ball, and then all of a sudden, here comes a juggernaut, and they slaughter you in the second quarter. Well, let's stick with the early portion of this game because, again, the defense was phenomenal on that opening drive. Then they get put in a tough position where Ohio State's already in field goal range on a short field. They force them out on four plays and a missed field goal. So the Cody White fumble goes for naught for the Buckeyes. They can't cash in. And then for some reason, there are a couple play calls in this game that I still have an ice cream headache over with Brad Salem. And one of them was you're going to run option right against Ohio State's defense, and predictably, they crowd you because they have so much speed to the outside. They force Lewerke into, one, a pitch earlier than he oh, wanted to, and two, that was from brutal. a shorter distance, and they fumble it again on the second straight possession. You could see that coming. You could see it. You could see bad coming right off the shoot, and then when he pitched it, I mean, I, you know, who do you fault in that? It was just a bad play all the way around. A bad play, and that did turn into points for Ohio State. So it's you're sitting there three nothing, going, "What the hell just happened with the Spartans?" The defense did its job, and then some. And on three straight possessions, you're down three to nothing. You're thinking, if the defense had any say in this, Michigan State might be leading right now. Two, they're probably lucky they weren't down fourteen to nothing at that point because of the defense. So the, the Spartan right. offense continues to struggle. They go punt. They go punt. Ohio State gets a touchdown drive put together. To me, it's kind of what you touched on earlier, Tom. The defense was prepared. Mike Tressel had this team ready to go against the Buckeyes, but they just wore the Spartan defense down. The offense didn't hold up its end of the bargain at all. They were just 4 of 13 on third down. They lost time of possession this game by over three minutes, and it just seemed that second quarter, Everything went sideways, and it's interesting because they showed a graphic during this game about how Ohio State has dominated the second quarter against each and every opponent this season that continued in this game as they scored 24 of their 27 points in the second quarter. And, Tom, that was all she wrote. The second quarter was all Ohio State needed on offense. Yeah, and it was 27-10 at halftime. They got the field goal right at the end. Yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, it's just like a ticking time bomb with Ohio State. Yeah, even though you know that first that first quarter though, goal. My, my whole reaction, I think a lot of people's reaction was, "Oh my God, Michigan State's going to do it again." They're gonna. This is gonna be a fourth quarter game. This defense is ready to play. You thought that, but then in the back of your mind, you think of all this explosiveness that Ohio State has with a running game, and to the fact that Michigan State's defense got lit up on the ground, 323 yards. Yeah. The, I, I think that's the second highest total in in Mark D'Antonio's Michigan State career. That that is just mind boggling to me. That is more uh, of a of, of an endorsement of how good Michigan. Or, or how good Ohio State's running game is as opposed to Michigan State's defense. Because we know Michigan State defense is particularly good in the front seven. But, my God, to explode like that, I'm actually more impressed with Ohio State now than I was going into that game. I'd have to say the same because of the result and the quality of the opponent that played at least on defense because this Spartan team had three sacks. Joe Bocci was just phenomenal. He had two, oh, he's an animal. two oh, sacks, he's a, three yeah. tackles for loss. Uh, 11 total tackles. He led the team across the board in each of those categories. And Justin Fields, you know, by his standards, I thought was pedestrian, at least through the air. He did scramble a little bit, but he threw a pick in this game. Josiah Scott made a nice play on the ball and then had a nice return afterward. He I mean, did. You, you can't fault. I, I look at the final score and you're going to go, well, Ryan, I mean, you look at, you know, giving up 34 points and it's 34 to 10, but Tom, you know better than anybody. If if you can't establish any kind of offensive rhythm, momentum, time of possession, sustained drives, you're going to get chewed out on the other side of the ball, and that's exactly what happened. And that's the one area that, like you, I was surprised in that Ohio State's running game, just as they did against every other opponent, almost mirrored that against Michigan State with J.K. Dobbins averaging 7.2 yards per carry. They had big splash plays. Master Teague is a perfect complement to him. They combine for over 200 yards, and Fields got his share scrambling as well. So for Michigan State not able to take away the run in any shape, form, or manner, what stood out to you about that and why that happened? Well, the ultimate, you know, in terms of getting chunk plays, both uh, often, but both running and passing Ohio State, when, when Josiah Scott's your leading tackler, your secondary guy, that's not a good thing. <laughs> I mean, that's not good at all. He had 12 tackles. Mm-hmm. Um, I, what stood out to me is Matt, and I said this uh, last week or going into this, this Master Teague to J.K., who, who, who literally looks like a bowling ball. I mean, he's really compact. He's like 5'11", like 225, 230. Uh, and, he, and he is just such a perfect complement to J.K. Dobbins, who can go the distance. You know, he can threaten the field through his legs. And, and you know, I thought also Michigan State's defense – you know, I mean, I think they started to finally wear down. Yeah. I mean, it's and this is what Ohio State does to people. It's like a boxing match where all of a sudden you're kind of, you know, you're, you're coddling in the corner. And you're just, you know, balling up, you know, trying to absorb these punches. And, you know, without and that, that pick six got called back. I mean, this could have been a 41 to 10 game. You can look at this game in so many different lights. It, in some ways, it, it was it felt like it, the game was played closer. Than the score indicated. In some ways, I'm surprised Ohio State didn't score more points when you look at all the yards. 34 to 10, the final. And as Tom mentioned, those yards in the ground, killer against uh, Michigan State. But for their part, a decent game for Elijah Collins. Not great. 12 carries, 63 yards, averaged just over five yards a carry. But nobody else did anything in the ground no. game for MSU. And for Brian Lewerke, it was a mixed bag. I mean, th- there's similar, I think, criticisms you can make of Lewerke that you could make of Patterson. I think his vision was a little bit better on some plays, getting the ball just over the outstretched arms of a linebacking core and hitting his targets. 
uh, but one interception in this game and one fumble that I, I'm going to pin on him mostly in running that option and throwing it. Shut, uh, yeah, shut I would distance. too. Good call on that. Yep. And, and I think some of his throws, he's overthrowing. He's hitting guys in the hands, but the rocket passes with no touch. It reminds me of like early career Matthew Stafford. That being said, I don't want to pin too much on Lewerke because there's a problem here, Tom, and it's called drops for Michigan State. And as good as goal line stew, Daryl Stewart's been, and he led them again with six catches, 68 yards, including a great grab in the end zone for a score in which his helmet was ripped off and Kirk Herbstreit's trying to contend. Oh, they both should have gotten unsportsmanlike penalty. Get out of here with that. But the drops, the drops for Michigan State for an offense that has a very fine, narrow, if any, margin for error. When you see so many of those, you get a feeling as to why the Spartan offense is struggling, and that's been a big part of it, the drops. Oh, you can't have drops. There are, there are many, many turnovers. <laughs> Everything, I look at the turnover thing. You can't drop. You can't. It, it's just it's, it's bad because you put all that work into schematically to make that play happen, and you can't secure the football when the, when it's there. Everything's been executed, and you got to follow through and make the catch. Yeah, I mean, you can't have that. And, you know, back to that running game, it, 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 do, do we know anything more about Elijah Collins? Was there an injury with him at the end? Did I? Yeah, did I'm, I'm worried about him a little bit. I'm also worried about both Panashuk brothers on the defensive line. I don't oh, know if that uh, was just them, again, use the term wearing down or just uh, that they had had enough. It was like a boxing match for that defensive line in this game. And I think that's the thing in so many ways. You know, the running game obviously being a very glaring exception, but they got heat on fields. They made him uncomfortable in the pocket at times, especially early in this game. They were able to generate pressure, and we knew that it coming in, this is an area that Ohio State had struggled in a bit. Now, I don't want to get down the road and go down the rabbit hole of uh, if ifs and, and nuts, nuts were yeah. candies and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. However, there you go. Uh, Tom, in this case, I did see Ohio State, I think, get away with a lot of holding, clutching, and grabbing on the outside. They got called for a couple, but there were a lot of instances where I think uh, there were some liberties taken. And I don't know that's just playing down in Columbus at the horseshoe if you're going to get have to expect a little bit in terms of home field advantage, so to speak. But uh, this is a physical game in, in many ways. Uh, some of it maybe should have been called a little bit more, but even with that taken into consideration, it wasn't enough for Michigan State. They were overmatched, but the time you could say that about just about any team that takes the field against Ohio State this year. Is there any one play or a series of plays or any moment in this game where you felt like, you know, if, if it just would have gone this way for Michigan State, we would have been talking about a different game? Well, I don't, I don't I think Ohio State would have won. If you throw the variables and flip of variables, I think Ohio State wins at the end just because of sheer talent. But, it, you know, those two turnovers in the, four, in the first four possessions – was killer uh, and not cashing in on that. That, that to me uh, was, was the biggest issue could, and could have flipped the game. And the other thing is if Michigan state could have run the football. Okay. And I, you know, people get tired of me harping on this running. You got to run the damn ball. And, there, and let me go back real quickly. Cause I had talked to some Iowa uh, media before the game. And it said, if, if Iowa win gets 120, 150 yards, they're going to beat Michigan. Well, they didn't get a squat running the ball. Running the ball is – it's just it's, – it sits at the core in college football or any level, Ryan. And the fact that Michigan State now went bell cow with Elijah Collins. I mean, uh, Jefferson, what had uh, – Ladarius Jefferson had one carry. Uh, Williams had like three. Uh, Cody White on a jet sweep. I mean, what, I mean, you so you got one guy. You're going on one guy right now. I don't think that's good, and I think the fact that Michigan State could not did could not run the football against Ohio State was the variable that this made this outcome a no-brainer. Ohio State was going to roll. 
to me, it was that first possession of the second half in which Michigan State trailed at halftime, 27 to 10. They come out, they put together a nine-play, six-yard drive. Lewerke looks sharp. He's dinking and dunking. And they end up coming away with nothing because Matt Coughlin misses a chip shot field goal. 21 yard. What the hell is going on with him? I don't know, Tom, but I'm telling you what, that that to me, when I watched the body language of everybody involved, including Mark D'Antonio, that took the win out of Michigan State sales. But they get a touchdown there. They're within 10. Even with a field oh, yeah. goal, they're back within two scores. To have that kind of drive, which was yeah. probably their best drive of the game, and come away with nothing, to me, that was the dagger right there. A really, really good point, Ryan. Yes, I forgot about that. Yeah, that, that was a that was a killer indeed. You can't have you can't commit. You put all that effort into that opening drive, and you know that was mulled over in the locker room. What we're going to do offensively, and how we're going to get back in this game real quick with a score, uh, even a field goal at, at, at two scores that makes Ohio State, you know, kind of think a little bit. These guys aren't going away. That's what you want to make that opponent think that you're not going away. Uh, well, at 17 is a whole lot different than 14. Because mm-hmm. that's three scores against Ohio State. That's tough sledding. And what what stood out on that drive? A couple of hits by Lewerke to his tight ends in Seibert and Trenton Gillison. They got a nice triangle. Gillison, there. man, this Gillison kid, yeah. he could be an up-and-comer. Yeah, and that's the thing is when this Michigan State offense is clicking, we don't see it often, but on this drive we did. He's hitting his tight ends, and I think we got to see more out of what I used to call crazy legs Lewerke, the run-pass option, get him outside into space. He had a couple of runs like that. Now, sack yardage took that away, and, of course, the notorious fumble on the option play. That, that was a straight option, though. That wasn't an RPO. And then, right. you know, uh, uh, to cap this drive, there's two things I want to get your thoughts on, Tom, because C.J. Hayes, I hate to say it, this this pass interference call that was not made was almost as bad as the Saints-Rams-NFC championship game <laughs> last year. He was absolutely waylaid. No yeah. flag comes. That brings up fourth and five. And rather than going for it there, I mean, he's going to get criticized either way if it doesn't work out. Let's make one thing clear about Mark D'Antonio in that situation. But you know the struggles of Coughlin. You know your offense might not get back down there. Was that their best chance to take a stab at the end zone to go for it on fourth and five? And your thoughts on that interference call that was not? Well, the interference call was bad. I mean, you're right. I mean, there was, I mean, and this is the thing when you go to Columbus, and I'll speak from a Michigan standpoint, because, you know, on, 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 on where the ball is spotted and things like that, not to, to throw sour grapes here. But yeah, you have to play over the bad calls that you're going to get when you go down to the shoe. That's just reality. And that was, that, that was a blatant missed call there. Uh, yeah, and you know, looking back, I mean, you got to Michigan State had you know they're what are they twenty one point underdogs? I mean, you got to lay it all out there, play riverboat gambler when you can, because you know, I mean, your chances of winning the game. Uh, who cares if you lose by twenty eight, thirty five, forty? Doesn't matter. Just go for as much as you can get offensively. I thought that was real conservative not to do that. And again, this defense time and again not only bailed Michigan State out or gave them a chance, but the, even after that play we just talked about with the, the questionable pass interference that wasn't called, you don't get the field goal, the interception by Josiah Scott and the return, got to make note of that, put MSU back in good field position at their own 46, and the Spartans go three and out, and it just yeah. went downhill for there from this offense. It, it was just like a you knew that the, the tidal wave was coming, from Ohio State, and that's exactly what happened in this game. They didn't need a lot more points. I think they, they were smart in how Ryan Day operated, and they were running clock, and Michigan State just ran out of time, and too many things went against them uh, in that second quarter. 
you can outline exactly why this happened the way that it did. But what does Michigan State do now, Tom? Where do they pick up the pieces from here? Is they they got to turn around and head to Madison this Saturday and face Wisconsin. Yeah, I I, I know, but I, I think that they're going to have a, a much more feasible chance of of beating them. I mean, I, I I will be shocked if they don't compete against Wisconsin. I'll be really shocked if it's not a fourth quarter game. Maybe Wisconsin, you know, will be the slight favorite. I mean, when I perceive who am I going to pick? Uh, but I think and here's how I use a testimony. Justin Fields in a post game uh, presser uh, in Columbus last night talked about how. How nice it was that they have this buy coming up. They have a buy. Ohio State could sit back pretty at six and zero, whatever. They have the buy before they play Northwestern, okay, which will be a win. So they're really sitting, you know, chilling right now. Yeah. But he said it couldn't come at a better time because Justin Fields remarked, "This is by far the most physical game that they have had to endure." Mm-hmm. So I think that's good testimony to Michigan State. Michigan State notoriously is a very physical team. Michigan players I've talked to over the years. And they'll, they'll say it to somebody, you know, they won't say it to a Spartan, they'll say it to me, that after that Michigan State game, they were always sore mm-hmm. more than ever, even more than the Ohio State game. So I think that's, I think Michigan State will be real physical, Wisconsin. That's going to be a really intriguing game. I think they can, if Elijah Collins is healthy, I think they could compete, and I still haven't figured out who I'm going to pick. Okay, well, well, you got some time to think about it, Tom. And again, that game coming up will be a 3.30 start. Uh, in Wisconsin for Michigan State. The Spartans will drop out of the rankings, of course, as they were barely in them to begin with at 25 with their 34-10 loss at Ohio State. One question I did want to ask you since you've seen both of them, and there might not be a wrong answer, there might not be a right answer to this, but in terms of the two backs, comparing one against the other for the two top teams in the Big Ten, Jonathan Taylor for Wisconsin, we saw him run roughshod in a 48-0 stomping of Kent State. Or J.K. Dobbins, Ohio State. Who do you got? <laughs> wow. That's not fair. That's a tough question. Um, I, Jonathan Taylor obviously gets the, uh, you know, gets some more accolades. I, I think the fact, the way to compare these two guys, you know, the fact that J.K. Dobbins benefits from Justin Fields is such a good RPO quarterback. If you put Dobbins on Wisconsin, I think Jonathan Taylor would be the better player overall, a slight edge. But, my God, how can you go wrong with either of these kids? They're both home run hitters. They hit the hole really quick. You can't go wrong. And, man, I would love to have either one of them wearing under that wing helmet, let me tell you. Now, I don't think there's any question, Tom, that people would rather have Justin Fields than poor Jack Cohn. But he hasn't had to do a whole lot so far. He's largely untested. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. In yesterday's win over Kent State, he was 12 of 15. Didn't have to throw very much. Two touchdowns, no picks. I mean, there's something to be said for a guy that, you know, doesn't put you in a position to lose, doesn't hurt you. And I think Cone is that quarterback. But I think there's something to what you're saying, though. When people know that Justin Fields is back there for Ohio State, you know, that does give J.K. Dobbins kind of writ large to do what he wants to do. And, and he's got a, a great sidekick in Master Teague, whereas for Taylor, it's the Jonathan Taylor show for Wisconsin, as Michigan fans found out. Well, yeah. So you got you got Justin Fields. To, to, it's like a you know pick your poison kind of thing going on in the backfield, and then you got Mich- Ohio State's receiving core is so good that threatens the defense so much. That's why you're seeing these gaping holes because everybody's got these areas of responsibility they have to be thinking about and covering all these these points of threat that the Ohio State offense is throwing at the defense. That that's where I think that. Jonathan Taylor is doing more of the percentage of it with his talent at Wisconsin. He doesn't have as much talent around him 
that J.K. Dobbins has at Ohio State. That's the bottom line. Both are tremendous, though. I would, uh, I think they're both great. Nakia Watson is the sidekick running back for Wisconsin. He's just a freshman, though, and again, uh, heavy load carried by Jonathan Taylor. We'll have much more on Michigan State, Wisconsin coming up in our midweek podcast as well. You said it earlier, Tom, and we we see maybe a handful of teams here, maybe six, seven, eight, that are playoff caliber, playoff worthy. Perhaps Florida vaults into that conversation with their 24-13 home win over Auburn. But you mentioned how you were more impressed by Ohio State coming out of this game against Michigan State, the 34-10 win, than going in. I'll ask it again, and I think I'll get the same answer. Uh, Clemson, Alabama, both idle this week. Is Ohio State better than both of them? Is Ohio State the best team in the land? As we're sitting right now, by far. I'm all, well, maybe not by far, but you know, I, I don't have any reservation declaring that as we're sitting here on October the 6th, that Ohio State is the best football team in America. The way they're playing right now, the body of work that they've accomplished, uh, and just how they do it. And, and I'll go back to the old sheer optics. When you look at them, they look so fast. Everything looks higher, you know, the, the, the miles per hour is up another 10 than everybody else. It seems like to me, that's why I have Ohio State number one team in the country. So Ohio State 34-10 winners over Michigan State. Michigan holds on at home to beat Iowa on homecoming in an old-fashioned slug them out, uh, big two, little eight type game from the 70s. 10-3 the final score there. The Wolverines will be at Illinois this coming Saturday, a noon start on ABC. The Spartans will go back on the road. This gauntlet continues in a 3.30 Eastern time start against the Wisconsin Badgers TV to be determined on that one. For Tom Crawford, I'm Ryan Schuling signing off one more time here for the Great Lakes Divide podcast. It's brought to you each and every time out by the Record Lounge in Rio Town. Our thanks to Heather Ferrari for her support of our program and for yours as well. Don't forget to tell your friends to subscribe, download, and listen to the Great Lakes Divide podcast. Have a great week, everybody.